Take your Bibles and turn me to the book of Matthew. And we're going to switch gears quickly here out of that beautiful song and talk about conflict a little bit today. Let me tell you that one of the things that is happening is that Nashville is changing, right? Nashville in the area in which we live is changing on a pretty rapid basis. People are moving in. Culture is changing. Things are happening. But one thing that is constant here in Nashville is that it is Music City, USA, right? This is the place where music comes. Many of you are here because of music. Some of you moved to this area of the country because of music or had thought that that was a part of the reason you came. And the truth is that music is vital to what Nashville is. And the industry that is most vital to the Nashville music scene is country music. Now, I'm not going to ask how many of your country music fans out there, but some of you are, some of you aren't. But one of the things that's interesting about country music is they always have those somebody done somebody wrong songs. Right? This morning I thought we'd start by reading some of the most outrageous titles that I've heard for country music. For instance, there was a country music song entitled, My Wife Ran Off With My Best Friend and I Sure Do Miss Him. There's also one, I still miss you, baby, but my aim is getting better. I don't know about this one, but someone wrote a song, I'd rather pass a kidney stone than another night with you. If you don't leave me alone, I'll go and find someone else who will. A couple of other ones, I'm so miserable without you, it's almost like having you here. I bought the shoes that just walked out on me. I can't remember the uh, I can't remember the grammatical uh, term here for this particular kind of title, but it's called "My John Deere was breaking your field while your dear John was breaking my heart." And then this is my personal favorite. I went back to my fourth wife for the third time and gave her a second chance to make a first-class fool out of me. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. I'm going to bet that whoever wrote those songs, now some of them were written to be silly, I'm sure, but some of them were written out of a real difficulty in their life. And I'm going to guarantee that nobody started into the relationship in which they started with the idea it was going to end that way. You don't hear many people stand at the altar as they're getting ready to be married and say, I sure hope that when we get through with this relationship, I'm going to write a song like that. And the question we have to ask is, how do we get there? How do we get from the hope that comes in premarital counseling, in marriage counseling, in in the, the wedding ceremony itself? How do we get from that joy, that excitement, that wonderment to the place where they're so angry or upset that they write things like that or say things like that? How do we get there? I was watching TV about a year ago, kind of getting Eli ready for 
nursery school at the time, and we were getting his clothes on and getting his breakfast, and the TV was just kind of background noise. And while the TV was on, it was on the Today Show on this day. For some reason, it's usually on the Wiggles or uh, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse or something like that. But for this particular day, it was on the Today Show, and they started talking about divorce. Now, usually when the Today Show talks about divorce, I don't perk my ears up too much, and I really was just kind of, it was like I said, background, until I heard someone say uh, to the, the guy that was on there, the psychologist, the most given reason for divorce in our culture today is irreconcilable differences. And they asked him, his name was Dr. Drew, they said, Dr. Drew, why do you think people have so many irreconcilable differences? And he said, let me say before we begin that answer that there is no such thing as irreconcilable differences. They said, I'm not trying to play semantics here, but he said the reality is that if people would work a little bit more, then not just in marriage, but in society as a whole, we could see differences reconciled. But the problem is people don't want to work anymore. And the truth is what happens in any relationship, in marriages, in friendships, in church relationships, whatever happens is that usually they start out really well, going really good, but something happens along the way and you have one little argument that may not get resolved. That leads to two little arguments that don't get resolved. And before long you're piling arguments and disagreements and differences on top of each other. And before long you don't remember what you got married for, you remember what you're fighting about. And as a result, those unsettled differences become in the minds of the two people irreconcilable. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about home improvement and building up the homes in which we live and how we're going to do that. And we talked about uh, how we can do that with a love for each other and what true high-definition marriage looks like. We talked last week about communication. And as I said last week, communication is much more than just in a marriage. And the truth is, we're going to talk today about settling conflict, and that is applicable to a much more than marriage. But if you're here today and you are married, these principles can really help you as you move along. Matthew chapter 5. Starting in verse 1, it tells us that Jesus saw the crowds and He went up on a mountainside and He sat down. His disciples came to Him and He began to teach them. Now what follows in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is one of the greatest um, passages of Scripture that you will find on sermons or what what a sermon looks like or how he preached. Now what's interesting is Jesus just kind of hits topic to topic, topic to topic, but he starts with this overview of what it's like to live the blessed life. We call them the Beatitudes, but the reality is what they are are the blessings in life. What brings you true blessing? There are hundreds of books at any local bookstore about how to be a blessed person or how to have a good life. Jesus gives you just a few principles that if you live them out, your life would be blessed. And he starts general. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And then verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called sons of God. Blessed 
are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack that verse, verse 9, that blessed are the peacemakers. Over the last uh, month or so on Wednesday night, we've gone through all of these Beatitudes and we did a study of them. But today, this morning, what I want to do specifically is just ask the question, what does peacemaking look like? How does it work out in relationships? How do we resolve conflict? Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, before we get too in-depth in how we solve conflicts, let's get a couple of basic truths out of the way. Now, I realize that you're going to write a lot today, if you, if you write. If you write down and take notes, I think there are 15 things you're going to write down today. So everybody take your hands and kind of do this, all right? We'll get them ready, because we're going to go quickly. Now, I know you say, Pastor, you say we're going to go quickly every week, and sometimes it lasts a long time. We're going to go quickly today. We've got 15 things to write. And the first is, truth number one is that we live in a world of conflict. It's just reality. The world we live in is a world of conflict. Conflict is all around us. You can turn on the news this afternoon, tonight, Monday night through Saturday night, whenever you want to turn on the news, and you will find conflict almost always leads the news. Whether it's the war that we are currently engaged in, whether it's some kind of, of violent crime that has taken place within our city, some kind of conflict that is happening at City Hall, some kind of disagreement that's happening with the school board, almost every lead story will be about conflict. Not only do we live in a world where conflict we see on TV, on the news programming, we have television shows that are designed to highlight conflict. Every major news channel has got a show where it's basically just two people sitting on one side, two people sitting on the other side, and all they do is argue for an hour. Conflict. We're engaged over the next few months in the presidential election. And as we are engaged in presidential election politics, there's going to be conflict of ideas. There's going to be conflicts between people. They've already happened in the primaries. It's going to continue. And here's the reality. After whoever is elected is elected, conflict will start the day after their election about what they're going to do or not do. Conflict is a part of who we are. Amen? So here's the reality. If you live your life and say you never deal with conflict, you are lying. It's that simple. I think it was last week or the week before we talked about that I remember having a conversation with somebody that was uh, had been married for over 50 years. And I said, how do you make it work? I'm always interested to talk to people that are married that long and say, how, how does it work with you? How do you make it work? And I, and I remember some kind of question came up about conflict and they just said to me, we, we don't ever fight. And, and my first reaction was, wow, that's great. My second reaction is, yeah, you do. You do. It's impossible to live with another human being for that long and not have a fight. If you're different, there's conflict. And the last time I checked, we're all different. We live in a world of conflict. But what we need to understand is the truth of that goes much deeper than just the fact that, oh, well, there's conflict in the world. Because you see, we are part of an eternal conflict. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12 say, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. At some point, we're going to do a sermon series and we're going to, we're going to just uh, dissect every part of these verses in Ephesians chapter 6. But look what it says in verse 11. 
Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now here's what's interesting to me is, we need to realize that every conflict that we see on this earth is a reflection of the eternal conflict that is going on outside of this world. Now, I'm going to let that sink in for a minute because that's pretty heavy stuff. But every conflict that we have on this earth is a reflection of the eternal conflict that is going on outside of this world. And here's the reality. We are part of the conflict. Now, what he says here is our battle is not against flesh and blood. What he's saying is you need to assess every conflict that you have and ask the question, what is the deeper root, the deeper meaning here? It's easy to say I'm in conflict with. It's difficult to say why is the conflict there? The reality is most of the time when we ask about conflict, when we talk about conflict, we talk about the people involved when we need to understand there are oftentimes much bigger issues involved. Conflict is raging all around us. Our hearts know this. Our greatest stories are about it. Last night, watching a movie with, with Eli, we were sitting in bed, getting ready for bed, watching a movie on television, and it was one of those commercials that came on that really wasn't a commercial, but it was a preview of the movie coming up, the new C.S. Lewis movie, Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, Prince Caspian movies coming out in a month or so. And it reminded me again that all of our greatest stories are these stories of epic conflict. Last week I was uh, flipping around the television channels and the movie, the, the, the Fellowship of the Rings trilogy was on. I think I, I mentioned this last week. I think it started at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning and it ended sometime the next week. It was that long. But it was this story, and I started to watch the first part of it, went out and had a full day and came back and watched the end of it. It was great. It's this epic conflict. And that's a reflection of the fact that God has placed us in a world where there are forces opposing Him, evil ones opposing Him, and as a result, we are sometimes going to get caught in the crossfire. Now, here's the second reason for conflict is because we all sin. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. That means that you and I make moral choices that aren't right. We make moral choices that make conflict come. It also means that there are just sometimes, because of our fallen nature, we make mistakes. That we forget to do things. Did you realize that part of the result of the fall is that we can't remember as well as we want to? How many of you ever forget something? Let me see your hand. Here's the thing. Sometimes I forget things that don't matter, right? Sometimes I forget things that do. Last week, uh, part of my responsibilities in the house, you know, we've divvied up things. Part of my responsibility is that I take out the trash. Well, we're, we're in the house and we're having to get adjusted to trash day and getting the trash to the street and all that. And in a house, when you have a one-year-old, there are particular reasons you want the trash taken out on a regular basis. Amen? Have you may have been there? 
there are particular reasons. And this had been a particular week in which it was particularly important to get the trash out. Some difficulty digesting food, apparently. And I forgot to take the trash can to the street. I confess, is it was a mistake. And usually on our street, they don't come till middle of the day. At least that had been my experience in the two weeks I had lived there. I just thought that was normal behavior. About noontime, fine. We're laying in the bed. It had been one of those nights when our, one of our children had been up, and so we, 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 we kind of were relaxing a little bit. And I don't remember what time it was, but it wasn't late. It wasn't mid-morning. It was pretty early in the morning, and we heard the garbage truck. I got dressed quickly. Rounded up all the garbage in the house that had to be gone, got it downstairs, put it in, and when I walked outside, I saw that it was already down the street. Just an honest mistake. Here's the thing, and Susan's not here, so I'll tell this. Just don't tell her I told you, because then I'll have to go review my notes on conflict resolution when I get home. (laughs) Susan got a little upset, and she had every right to be, because that's my responsibility. And I didn't take it out. And that meant we had to suffer through another week of that garbage outside. Now the great thing is, most of the time that garbage doesn't, you know, seep through those wonderful garbage cans that we have. But when you start piling things on top and the lid won't shut, it's just a daily reminder of the mistake. We all make mistakes and as a result, conflicts come. So here's the first truth. We live in a world of conflict. Here's the second thing. We are called to seek Peace. You see, it would be easy if we could just say, you know what? (laughs) We live in a world of conflict, that's right. So conflict's just inevitable. But that's not where Scripture leaves us. It says in Scripture that we are to seek peace. In fact, it says that we are to be peacemakers. You notice there, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute, it doesn't say we are to be peacekeepers. It is that we are to actively pursue peace. And in fact, it says that we ought to do everything we can to pursue peace. Look what it says in Romans 12, 18. Do your part to live in peace with everyone as much as possible. Now, there is a sermon in that verse, but let's just break it down quickly. Do your part. That means your part. Not anybody else's part. It's not your responsibility to do your spouse's part. It's not your responsibility to do your kid's part. It's not your responsibility to do church members' parts. It's not your responsibility to do anybody's part, but your part, right? Right? All right. We need to live that way. We're dealing with this right now. Eli told us the other day, we don't have to worry about him anymore. Just take care of Luke. But here's the thing. Sometimes Eli doesn't think we do a good enough job taking care of Luke. Mommy, Luke is doing this. Daddy, Luke's not eating his food. He's just playing. And in those times we say, Eli, worry about you. We'll take care of Luke. The truth is, even as adults, sometimes we try to do everybody else's part instead of our own. This is what I like. It says, do your part to live in peace with... What's that word? What's that word? What does that mean? Everyone means... 
Everyone. No exclusions. That doesn't mean your neighbor that's just cranky, you don't have to worry about. That mean that on a day when your, your spouse just had a terrible day, you don't have to worry about it. That's everyone. That situation can mean at all times. And then it says, as much as possible. Now let me say this to you. Our as much as possible is different than God's as much as possible. Because sometimes I'll talk to you and some of you will say, I have done everything I possibly could do. And then I'll suggest something. Well, I guess I could do that. Or as much as possible is not as much as God's. I mean, think about what God did. And we'll talk about this at the end. We'll wrap it up with this. But think about this. God's as much as possible included sending His own Son to die for our sins to make peace. Do your part as much as possible to live in peace. So here's the reality. We live in a world of conflict. We're going to have conflict in our lives. And the truth is that we're called to make peace. So let's talk about for a minute, how do we do that? Let's say you're in a conflict. And what I want you to think about over the next few minutes is a conflict that's been resolved or not been resolved. If it's been resolved, think how could I have resolved it better? If it's not been resolved, think how can I resolve it? I want you to get specific in your mind. Think about it in your mind. A specific thing going on in your life that has happened in your life recently. I'm not talking about 20 years ago. I'm not talking about 15 years ago. I'm talking about recently. Some of you will think of something that happened last week. Some of you will think of something that happened last month. Some of you will think of something that happened in the car on the way here this morning. Recent. And we're going to talk about two steps and then eight guidelines that come out of those steps of how we solve conflict. First of all, step number one is take it to God. Take it to God. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now, what it tells us there is that we will be just like God. When when you hear somebody say sons of God, what does that mean? Well, in this, this instance, as I said a couple of Wednesday nights ago, it's the idea that we will be just like Him. I have two sons, Luke and Eli. And there are some people that think that my sons look a little bit like me. Last week, apparently, the young adult Sunday school class had a, 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 one of those contests where you give baby pictures, you know, and people guess who the baby picture is. And most everybody got me because they said you look like your kids. Here's the reality. If you got my dad's baby pictures, you got pictures from when he was my age, I look very similar to my dad. I am Jimmy's son. When I was growing up, people thought I looked so much like my dad, they used to call me Little Jimmy. And I'm not talking about going to the opera with Little Jimmy Dickens. They just called me Little Jimmy. I hated being known as Little Jimmy. People would call me Little Jimmy. I had a problem pronouncing my L's, which is a problem when your name is Lyle Larson. And so people would call me Little Jimmy, and I would say, my name is not Little Jimmy, my name is Wild Patrick Watson. And it was adorable, I can tell you. As I grew up, I came to understand who my dad was and the type of man that he is. And it doesn't bother me as much anymore to be called his son. But what it says here is that when you are making peace, you will be the spitting image of God. You'll be God's sons. Now if you're a lady and you want to put daughters there, it's okay textually to do that. But here's the thing. If we have a God who is the best at making peace, 
Wouldn't it make sense to go to the expert on peacemaking when we're in conflict? And the first step in any conflict is to take it to God. Now, one of the biggest mistakes in conflicts is we don't do that. We go read books, we read studies, we try to understand, we psychoanalyze, we talk it out with other people, we go to several other people, we get counseling, but we never take it to God. And the first step is always, always to take it to God. To go to Him. You know, sometimes you say, well, well that's difficult, and it is. I mean, if you come home from work and your wife is waiting for you at the door because of something that you have done, and the moment you step in the door, the conflict begins, I don't think she wants to hear. Could you give me 30 minutes to enter into my prayer closet that I might go to God and discuss what we need to do in response? I don't think that needs to happen. I also don't think you need to go, have you gone to God with this? You might be going to the floor with that. But even in that moment, you might just in a quickie prayer kind of way say, God, give me wisdom in this moment. Now, there are some conflicts that have been lasting and it's not red hot. It's not right there. You're not confronting them at the moment. And you can take time to think about it and pray about it and pray through God's direction. And the truth is, those quickie prayers work much better when you're taking things to God on a regular basis. Take it to God. Biblically, it tells us that we need to begin by always bringing things to God. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, you can just write that reference out there. Many of you know this verse. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The idea there is that things look a lot smaller when you take them to God, and even conflicts can be resolved when you do that first. Take it to God. Here's the second step, and this is going to be a no-brainer. Take it to the other person. One of the biggest mistakes in conflict is that we don't take it to God first. The second biggest one is we take it to everybody else but the other person first. Biblically, Scripture says that before you do any talking about the problem, you go to the source of the problem. Before you mention it in Sunday school class as a matter of prayer concern, before you get on the phone and talk to some friends about things that have been happening, before you call your mom or your dad to ask some wise counsel, you take it to the other person. Now that's true in all relationships, but it is vital in marriage. When Jesus was describing marriage, he quotes that verse from Deuteronomy, which, by the way, one of Jesus' favorite things to do was quote from Deuteronomy. And if he quotes from Deuteronomy, that passage that says, a man and a woman, he quotes that's repeated in Deuteronomy and Genesis, that a man and woman will leave their families and they will join together. And here's the reality. That what happens there is that when you are married, when you enter into a marriage relationship, Every other human relationship is secondary to that relationship. And part of the reasons conflicts and marriage escalate is because the wife calls her girlfriends and the guy calls his friends and they talk about the problem. They don't ever talk to each other. Or they get on the phone and they talk to their parents and they never talk to each other. 
And Scripture says that when you're dealing with it with everybody else, you're not dealing it with, with each other. And I don't know how many times I've seen in my life personally, in lives of church members, how conflict escalates quickly when word begins to spread because you talk to everybody else. You realize word spreads quickly, right? I got a phone call this morning at 6 o'clock from my mom that my brother was in the hospital. At 7.30 this morning, a church member from Ripley, Tennessee called my wife to see what was going on. Now, I don't know how it got there. But it got there. From Goodlettsville to Dyersburg to Jackson to Ripley, all over Tennessee, people know about it. Brian doesn't realize that there are about six churches praying for him right now. And we're thankful for that. We're excited about that. But the reality is it just reminded me how quickly word spreads. And when you're in conflict and you think, I'm just going to tell one other person about it. And that one other person tells one other person. And that one other person tells one other person. And before you know it, the whole town knows you're arguing about something, but you don't know what you're arguing about. Take it to the other person. Sometimes people will come in and they'll talk to me about a particular issue and we'll talk through some things and they'll say, and I talked to so-and-so about this and I talked to so-and-so about that and we, we, we got in some good discussions and they gave me some good ideas. I'm just wondering if you had some ideas. And I said, well, have you talked to your spouse? Oh, um, I guess I should have done that. Yes, that would be good. Take it to the person. Here's three steps when you take it to them. Three steps of taking conflict to the other person. First of all, you need to confront. Again, it says in Matthew chapter 5 that we are peacemakers. That's when we're blessed. It's not we're peacekeepers. It's active. It's going forth. And that means that there are these times that you confront. Now, the word confront has some negative connotations. But what I mean there is you just go and in humility and love and tact, a word that we seem to forget sometimes, you just say what is on your heart, what is on your mind, the problem that you see. You don't do any accusing at this moment. You don't do any convicting at this moment. You just say, this is what I perceive. This is how I I feel. This is what has happened. We need to work it out. It's just a simple confrontation. In Galatians chapter 2, you can write that reference down, verses 11 through 21, we have this story of Paul confronting Peter. And you remember that Paul, we know Paul's the great writer of the New Testament who wrote most of the New Testament books outside the Gospels. We know him as the great missionary who went all over the world. But Paul, for the first part of his Christian life, was an outcast a little bit because he had persecuted Christians. Peter was the leader of the church from the moment Jesus left. But we have this passage in Galatians where it talks about that Peter was doing some things wrong. And what I love about it, Paul writes and said, I went to him face to face. And confronted him. Here's the second step after you confront is you apologize. You apologize. Alright, I want you to do an exercise with me, okay? I want you to say these words. I'm sorry. Alright? Very good. Now this is what I want you to do. I want you to turn to someone next to you. Preferably if you're sitting next to your spouse, you turn to them, not to someone else. Alright? If you don't have a spouse, just turn to someone and tell them, say, I'm sorry. 
All right. Now, here's the thing I noticed. Some of you sounded like you meant it. Some of you did it because that preacher up there made me and I'm going to look foolish if I don't. We need to be willing to apologize. In fact, for the believer, a person in Christ, apologies ought to be a regular part of who you are. Now think about this. We know we're not perfect, right? This means yes. You know you're not perfect, right? Do you need me to start pointing some things out for you? We're not perfect. And if we're not perfect, that means we make mistakes. If we make mistakes, that means sometimes we are wrong. And if we are sometimes wrong, that means that sometimes we are wrong and it affects other people. And if we are wrong and it affects other people, Scripture teaches us we need to be willing to apologize. It ought to be a regular part of your life. Here's the reality. The conflict that you are in may not be completely your fault. In fact, there is a good chance that sometimes you're in conflicts that is 95% not your fault. But if you're going to get past whatever conflicts in your life, you need to be willing to apologize for whatever part of the conflict is your fault. Whether it's 5% or whether it is 99.9. And I'll be honest with you, there are many more conflicts in my life where it is 99% my fault than it is 5% my fault. You've got to be willing to apologize. Now, apology has to be more than just words. Eli realizes now when he does something that hurts his brother by accident or on purpose, that the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I say, no, you're not. Because you did that five minutes ago. And you said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I got on to you, and you did it again. You're not sorry. Sometimes in marriage or in relationships, you need to say to your partner, I'm sorry for what I've done, and I'm going to show you that I am. True apology is kind of like repentance. It isn't true until your feet follow your words. Apologize. Here's the third thing. Forgive. Forgive. Scripture says that we are to forgive each other just as Christ forgave us. And that means when they ask for forgiveness, you don't hold back. You don't use it as a bargaining chip. You don't try to say, well, I will if. You just forgive. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We've got to take it to God. We've got to take it to the other person. And I want to close this morning with... Eight guidelines for taking it to the other person. Eight things that you need to keep in mind every time you confront, you apologize, and you forgive. Eight guidelines that will help conflicts be resolved more quickly and help you move forward. And the first one is this. Make a damage assessment. Before any military group goes into action these days, they make damage assessments. How much casualties will there be? How much collateral will we ensue? How much will be a problem? There are people right now somewhere making damage estimates or assessments for if someone were to attack this country, if someone were to attack Nashville, someone were to attack Los Angeles. There are damage assessments. And when you get into a conflict resolution mode, you need to make a damage assessment before you say anything. Here's why. The people that we are closest to are often the people we can hurt the most. 
Because you know what buttons to push. You know in your relationships the words that you can say that can make the person you're arguing with go cower in a corner and end the argument right then. You know what they are. We know the buttons. We know the things to say. We know the things to do. We know all of those kind of things. And if we're not careful, we'll cause problems that we're not willing to pay for the results. This morning we had a uh, fundraiser here in the church, right? I'm holding in my hand a box of Krispy Kreme donuts. How many of you love Krispy Kremes? All God's people said, Amen. That's right. Krispy Kremes, I'm convinced, will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I actually have a full box of Krispy Kremes. I don't know whose they are. I may be taking somebody's Krispy Kreme. I apologize. You can get over it. Conflict resolution right there. Now, I'm going to take one of these Krispy Kreme donuts. And we're going to do a little experiment this morning. All right? Russell, do you have a second hand? you have a watch? Anybody wearing a watch? David? You don't have a stopwatch, David? Kevin, you got one? All right, Kevin. Kevin, you got a, a second hand on that watch? So you can time me, okay? You're going to be my signal. I'm going to eat this donut in a minute. Or under. It's my goal, all right? If you feel like cheering, chanting, whatever, that's fine. It's, it's not competitive eating, but it's going down in a minute, all right? This is my goal, to eat this donut, this Krispy Kreme donut, in a minute. All right, Kevin, whenever you're ready, you get a good time, you let me know. How am I doing, all right? We're going to be on the radio soon. This is great radio hearing a guy chew. How am I doing? What I got? Oh, no. Four seconds in or? Oh. Anybody got a garbage can we have up here a couple weeks ago? Really, it wasn't worth applause. All right, here's the thing. I did not make a good damage assessment before I did that. Because what I have read on the Internet is that for me to counteract what I just ate will take 20 minutes of intense cardiovascular work. Now, if it's 30 or 40, I don't want to hear it. I heard 20. And I am not going to enjoy the 20 minutes. Now, not to mention the fact that I am diabetic. (laughs) And this pump on my side is about to make some music because I've got to put some insulin in. Here's the thing. Every time you say a negative word to your partner, your spouse, your friend, whatever, it takes 20 positive words to counteract it. One donut, 20 minutes. One negative word, 20 positive words. Before you say anything, because in conflict, you say things that you would never say. And you know how to go right at them. Right at them. You just realize, are you willing to do the work of the 20 words after to say the one word you're going to say? Here's the second thing. Use your manners. For instance, don't get up in front of a bunch of people and eat a donut in a minute. It's not good manners. Use your manners. Here's the thing that's amazing to me is we will carefully watch the words we say to complete and total strangers. 
We will be considerate and kind with our words when we're talking to people that don't matter at all to us. But we get into an argument with a spouse, with a friend, with a sibling, with a child, with a parent, and we will throw all manners out the door. Be kind, considerate. Talk to each other as human beings and use your manners. Number three, avoid absolutes. That's what I mean by that. There are two words that cause problems and conflict that you should never use. And I just used one of them. The word never. And always. You get into an argument and you say, you know what? You never. Whatever. You always. And here's the truth. That's not true. I've been in arguments sometimes with with Susan and I'll I'll say, you know what? You never. And she'll go, really? Never? Okay, well, most of that, really? Most? Okay, there were a couple of times. (laughs) It's not true. Those are loaded words that you throw out when you don't want to think about how you need to say it. You never tell me how good I look. You always forget to talk to me about this. Just don't use absolutes. Number four, control your ADD. Here's what I mean by that. Stay focused. Here's what happens sometimes in arguments. First of all, stay focused on what you're talking about. Stay focused on what you're resolving. Stay focused in that moment. What I mean by that is, is, is don't, don't start wandering off daydreaming. Secondly, what I mean by that is, stay focused. Don't start hopping topics. Don't say we're, we're, we're causing a problem here. We're trying to resolve this conflict here. But let's talk about this other conflict that we've got and this other conflict we've got. And you hop off of that. It's kind of like preachers that chase rabbits. And before long, you don't even remember what you're arguing about because you've argued about some things you used to argue about. Control your ADD, your attention deficit disorder. Number five, no shrinks allowed. Some of you have watched so much Dr. Phil and Oprah. Thank you, Alan. That when situation comes up, you start to immediately psychoanalyze what's going on. Well, you know, if your mother would have treated you better with respect to that, you wouldn't have had this problem today. And don't ever say, you know, I was watching Dr. Phil the other day, and there were a couple of people on there that were arguing just like we are. And this is what he told them. No shrinks allowed. It's you and this person. You may know them better than anybody else, but don't take time to psychoanalyze. Deal with what's going on. Number six, give up the right to be right. All right, earlier I had you say, I'm sorry. Here's one that's even harder, okay? I want you to say to me, I'm wrong. Say it. Now, I want you to turn to the same person you said I'm sorry to, and I want you to say to them, sometimes I'm wrong, all right? Now, here's the thing, all right? All right, everybody back at me, all right? Here's what I want you to do this time. We're going to say it again. But here's the thing. I heard some of you emphasize the wrong word. Some of you emphasize the word sometimes. Right? 
Any of your partners say that? Let me see. <laughs> so you're going to say sometimes, and I want you to emphasize the word I'm. Alright? So turn to him and say, sometimes I'm wrong. Say it that way. This morning I, I had the opportunity to go see my brother. My brother is, he's in the hospital, he's still there. Um, and you know, after they went in the emergency room early this morning and I got down to the hospital and had the chance to go up and see him and he's got, they've already got him, you know, in the hospital, they get you with things going on, monitoring and all that kind of stuff. And I walked in and he was just talking. He said, so who's going to preach for you today? I said, well, I'm going to preach. He said, well, I know you got to go. I said, well, I'm fine. I've got a few minutes. Uh, I've got some good people that are taking care of some things and I want to pray with you and all of that. So we were just talking for a minute and he said, so what are you preaching on? And I said, I'm preaching on conflict resolution in marriage. He said, just tell them it's better to have peace than to ever be right. I think that was a God-inspired moment. Sometimes, let me just tell you this, sometimes you will be right. And the way that you stand so firm in being right will make you more wrong than if you'd ever been wrong. The way you hold it over somebody will make it wrong that you were right. So give up that right. There are times when you just have to say, okay, and just give up. Now, right along with that is number seven, which is don't keep score. I've talked to people who can tell you how many times they've been right in arguments with their spouses. Now, usually that's the person that's wrong more times than not because they're keeping up with who's right. But they keep score. They know. Well, you may be right today, but you remember last week. When you thought you were right and you weren't, don't keep score. I've told you this, one of my favorite verses in all Scripture is out of 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, here's the thing. I think you could paraphrase that and understand it in a little different way and say, it also keeps no record of who's right. Don't keep records. Short accounts. And here's the last thing. Refuse to retreat. Refuse to retreat. Don't give up. Verse 9 of Matthew chapter 5 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. I mentioned a little bit earlier that I think that that passage tells us that when we are making peace, we are most like God. We are, we are most uh, like our Father in heaven. And that as a result, we are like His spitting image. And we just are reminded that Scripture teaches us that we are God's ambassadors, that we are reconciling, bringing peace to this world as He would. And what we have to ask ourselves on a regular basis is, are we making the peace God is calling us to make? Now the truth is, we live in a world where conflict will be around. This is one of those sermons that you're going to get to practice on a regular basis if you put these principles into practice. Because conflict will be there. And this morning you may be here and you may have one of those marriages that is rifled with conflict, that it has just got conflict all around. And this morning you realize that some of the things we've talked about, you haven't been taking it to God, you haven't been taking it to each other, or the way that you have hasn't been right. And this morning perhaps is a time when you say, it's, it's time for us to get some things settled, some issues settled. And this morning maybe the first step you need to do is you need to take it to God. This morning you may be here and 
and you've got conflict not with your spouse. You're fine in your marriage. Things are okay. You have occasional stuff, but it's okay. You, you settle it for the most part all right. But there's somebody in this church. There's some friendship. There's some family member. There's some relationship that you know has just got conflict all around it. And you haven't handled it well. One of the things that Scripture teaches us is that if we're going to follow what God has called us to do, we need to act and look like who Jesus was. And Jesus was a guy that confronted conflict head on. And sometimes he still came out on the other side and people weren't happy with what he did, but he confronted it. Maybe this morning you've got some issues you need to confront. Perhaps this morning as you're sitting here, you're one of those people that's estranged from God, that you are apart from God. And the, the conflict you need resolved is between you and your Heavenly Father. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're someone that has accepted His Son as your Savior, then you know Scripture teaches us that if we will return to Him, He will hear our cry from heaven, He will forgive us, and He will restore that relationship just like it should be.